We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me wanna. Ticket prices are going up next season, and be prepared to sell out about four bucks more for a game, depending on where you sit. Season ticket holders received that news in a letter from the team. This increase follows the Bills' second playoff appearance in the past three years. Non-premium seats will cost between $36 to $126 per game, and the cheapest season ticket will be around $360. Ooh, welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pal Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Don Postles of WIVB Buffalo talking about Bill's season tickets. Guys, we have a packed show here for you tonight. We've got Bill's defensive end, Mike Love, joining us later tonight. We've got ticket price conversation. We're going to talk about the XFL. We've got a ton on our plate. But before we do that, I want to get this out of the way first because it's important. This Sunday, come out to Batavia Downs and have a beer with Chris and I. We're going to be at the Legends and Stars signing event at Batavia Downs. It's going to be it's one of the larger signing events of the year. It's going to be Sunday starting. We're going to be starting at eleven o'clock. We're going to be joining the guys from Rock Sports Network for a broadcast live from the event, and it's going to start at eleven o'clock over on their Facebook page. You can go check it out there. We're going to put a link to it in the show's description. The signing event itself is worth checking out <clears throat> because Sunday is Bill's Day. There's over 80 vendors, there's sports memorabilia flying around, trading cards, and on Bill's Day, we get a ton of crisp old-timers. I mean, you remember last year's lineup? Yep, Fred Smurless was there. We interviewed Fred Smurless at that event. This year, it's Fred Smurless, Scott Norwood, who to my... Chris, when's the last time he did a signing event in Buffalo? Or even near Buffalo? I have no idea. Marv Levy's going to be there, plus a lot of current players. Dawson Knox, John Brown, Josh Allen's going to be there. Again, we're going to be joining a panel discussion starting at 11 o'clock, which if you can't make it out, make sure you check it on the uh, Rock Sports Network Facebook page. It's going to be myself, Ryan Lacell of the Huddle TV Show, Mario Granada of Hashtag Sports. It's going to be, Chris, that event's always fun, right? 
Oh, yeah, it's going to be a blast. And if you guys want our uh, autographs, <laughs> we'll sign stuff for you. We would be more than happy to sign some autographs. You know, yeah. Come out, enjoy the event, hang out. If you can't watch, if you can't at least watch it, but I urge you guys to come out and have a beer with Chris and I over at 34 Rush afterwards. It's always a great time. And so with that, Chris, we need to kick off tonight's show. And as I am wont to do lately, I'm going to fill my glass with a little bit of Kentucky's Finest and some of this classy ice that you've made. Folks, yeah. Chris, I made sure I made a batch <clears throat> the other day. Chris fancies himself as a gentleman, folks. I don't know if you know this, but Chris has become a connoisseur of clear ice cubes. He literally goes out of his way. He takes hours making clear, ch- perfectly crystalline clear chunks. Looks very simple if you have a small cooler. Fill it with water all the way to the top, put it in your freezer for 24 hours, and then uh, flip that cooler upside down in the sink and uh, pull that block out and then get a serrated knife and a, and a uh, meat hammer and cut it into cubes, any shapes. you got a giant cube of ice in your rocks glass. Folks, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little impressed, but I think this also just underscores how much free time Chris really has. <laughs> But it does make me feel like a gentleman. And so as I sit here and sip a little of Kentucky's finest bourbon, I want to kick off tonight's show with a conversation about something that happened this weekend, Chris. The XFL. Hey, I have plenty of free time because I watched all four games. (laughs) Okay. Folks, the XFL debuted this weekend, and I've got to admit, that was fun. Is it NFL football? No, Chris, it's not. There's nowhere near the same level of talent on the field. And when you think about it, the ability of some of the positions, like kicker, it's kind of marginalized. With the wonky formations and the fact that there's no point-after attempts, things like that. But Chris, for a guy like me, who despises the game of baseball... Sometimes in July, you do watch the CFL. Oh my God, I'd kill for the CFL usually come July. I mean, Chris, this is the time of year where I'm usually resigned to watching rugby. Literally, I'll get up at 3.25 in the morning on Saturdays to watch rugby in Australia. Do you want to know why? It's the only televised sport worth my time. Not the Sabres. Not the Please. Right now, the Queensland Reds are 0-3 with a young team that kind of resembles the 2018 Buffalo Bills. And they are more fun to watch than the Buffalo Sabres. To hell with that team. But with that said, Chris, if you're one of those people who watched the NFL, even for a, uh, the XFL, even for a little bit this weekend, and said, nah, this isn't that good, I have to assume that you're the same person who only eats your chicken wings, or like Buffalo-style medium, or you're the guy out there who tucks his button-down shirts into his jeans. Yeah. What was your opinion of it, Chris? Uh, I really really like the kickoff. I think that's going to be adopted by the NFL at some point, where they line up at, what, I think the 25 and the 30, and they can't move until the the ball is uh, touched by the returner. And then I also like the the quote-unquote PATs with the one, two, and three-point attempts. That That was a lot of fun. I mean, you did tweet out about that guy going airborne for one point. You've got running backs jumping the line of scrimmage for a single point. That is fun. I almost spilled a little bit of my drink. Chris, that's the thing. They're so much different from the NFL, but in most cases it feels like they genuinely got it right. 
if you were trying to make an entertaining football-related product. I mean, your point afters, they have to be earned. It's not just a chip shot field goal that your kicker should make on a routine basis, right? Yeah. Okay. The subpar talent at the skill positions. That's something that killed the AAF was the fact that their offenses really struggled to make exciting football happen. One of the ways the XFL has mitigated some of that was by giving the wide receivers and tight ends headsets so they can all listen to the offensive coordinator at the same time. That way, the quarterback, who doesn't have a ton of familiarity with a lot of these skill position players, he doesn't have to worry about being the primary communicator on most plays. They're hearing all of their shifts and the you know offensive coordinator pointing out what to look for and certain coverages and the ways guys are cheating. All of that's coming from the coordinator, which means the quarterback can focus on doing his job. The wide receivers can focus on going out there and running their routes. And altogether, I think it really helped create some explosive offensive play. And for somebody like me who is not that nuanced in the X's and O's, especially because I, I enjoyed the L.A.-Houston game the most because – that was on Fox, and then you had Joel Klatt as an analyst, and then even on the sideline, you also had Brock Heward. So when plays are getting called in, and then you had Heward and Klatt kind of breaking them down as it happened to get out like all the key words and mm-hmm. what each word means within the route tree of the receiver, the running back, and the O-line, it helps people like me who don't know the X's and O's. Well, th- And that's exactly what this is, Chris. You're trying to appeal... You're not appealing to the football nerds. People like that are, again, the people who tuck their button-downs into their jeans, who wear socks with sandals, you know, that kind of a thing. This won't appeal to them because it, it might almost seem too dumbed down. But for the average football fan, there's enough meat on that bone there. Chris, one of the, one of the things that I think was the most refreshing was the way they handled the officiating. I've never seen officiating so clear, so concise, and it's finally interesting. Chris, normally when a penalty gets called in the NFL, you have to sit there and listen to these broadcasters kind of just bloviate over what they think is going to happen. And how often are they wrong? Most of the time. I'd say at least a third. We'll call it, we'll call it, to be fair, it's usually a third of the time they're wrong. Here, you get to listen to how the referees adjudicate a certain play. The thing, I know everyone got caught up about the fumble and the turnover and the the review. To me, the one that I saw with my own two eyes that I liked the most, the Tampa Bay-New York game. Robbie Walker of Tampa gets ejected after he jumps off sides and then throws a punch at one of the offensive linemen after the play. It was cool to me to get to hear the refs huddle up, go over who saw what. What did you throw your flag for? What did you throw your flag for? Well, this is this type of penalty. Offsides is a, you know, it's a, I guess it's considered a live penalty, whereas the punch is a dead ball foul. So we combine the yardage from both. That's how we get to the tw- to 20 yards worth of penalties. Was it really a punch? Did it, was it kind of a half-ass punch? Oh, it was a real? Okay, then he's ejected. Watching a referee crew and getting to listen to them go through those mechanics of officiating, Chris, that's the most transparency I've ever seen in a game of football. Oh, yeah, and how about the replay official using an Xbox controller? <laughs> well, and Chris, you want to talk about just transparency, the sideline reporting, okay? Even that was refreshing. I mean, you get the player who dropped an F-bomb because some reporter stuck a microphone in his face 15 seconds after he got a 15-yard penalty. 
You have the kicker who just missed a kick, and they go over and start immediately asking questions about, oh, what happened there? What do you think about that? See, I like Pat McAfee on Sunday night where uh, Marquette King had that booming punt where it was going to be supposed to be down at the one, and for whatever reason, that dude just ran in and dove at the ball because he thought it was a live ball. And then also props to Pat McAfee for wearing black jeans with holes in them and a bolo tie while you do a, a Texas football game. Uh, no, I mean, it, it may come off as shtick, but ultimately it's refreshing. It's different from what you get watching the NFL. Yeah. It's better than listening to boring coach speak, isn't it? Yeah. You're like, getting well, yeah. raw, unedited emotion down there. Yeah, well, that's what we get from, from our head coach. But I think some of these rules, some of these rules that they have in the XFL, they're going to get uh, picked up by the NFL for sure. Well, and that's the thing, because the, because of all these things that the XFL did, the execution was there. That's what made the games fun to watch. I mean, one of the things that killed the AAF and a lot of amateur football attempts, it's the inherent sloppiness, because these players don't often get to, I mean, what if they had a month and a half, maybe two months of training camp and practices together? Yeah. That's not enough to go out and execute like a football team, especially when some of these guys are ridiculously removed from the NFL or from the collegiate playing days. I mean, things weren't perfect, right? I mean, uh, just in the Tampa Bay game I watched, their offensive line was a tire fire, which just de- it completely grounded their offense. But it went a lot better than I expected. I mean, the Dallas Renegades were assessed just 19 penalty yards. And if you look at the league, the league average of penalty yards, Chris, was only 52. So it was a fairly clean game in terms of execution. Uh, Coney Ely, he was a former Carolina Panther and uh, New England Patriot. He had five quarterback hits. He, he's out there playing like a man amongst boys, which is what should happen when an NFL football player plays a group of guys who are essentially amateur football players, right? Correct. And then the league had five wide receivers finished with 60 or more yards receiving, and only two of them were former NFL players. Uh, one was uh, Eli, Eli Rogers of the, the Steelers. Okay. And the other one was former Buffalo Bill Austin Prowell, who finished with 88 yards and two touchdowns. There was enough there, Chris. Just from a, so ultimately it's an entertaining product. But I think the cardinal thing that the XFL got right, and it's going to be interesting to see if they can keep this momentum. They found a way to equate the XFL with redemption. You think about it, one of the faces of this league, whether he wants to be it or not, has kind of become Landry Jones. You know, he spent years as a backup quarterback for the Steelers. He started a handful of games for him over the course of his career there. But no one wanted him after Pittsburgh cut him loose. Nobody. And so when he got released last February, he went out and took up a construction job. Was literally just tearing down drywall. (laughs) Helping doing finishing work. So one of the things that I didn't like about the AAF... Is it for all the names and the different, you know, oh, this guy used to be an NFL player and this guy went to college here and was, you know, drafted in such and such a round. They did a really poor job of making you care about the teams and the athletes. The XFL, I mean, Chris, we just talked about it in, our, in last week's podcast. The NFL has been successful because they found a way to take the teams and weave them into the fabric of our community, right? Correct. So... You're emotionally invested, which means you care more. Even if you didn't care about the Bills, you're still apt to watch a few games. Even if you don't, you're not a rabid fan. The XFL took, as far as amateur football goes, the best, 
the best foot forward towards anything like that. Whether it was failed draft picks like Austin Prowell and Cardale Jones, who flourished. They're telling these stories. Guys like Landry Jones, they're trying to go out of their way to give you guys compelling characters. Guys to root for. Guys to say, hey, look at him. He's successful and he used to be somebody. I wonder if he could ever get back. Doesn't it compel you to watch just a little bit more? Yeah, also you have uh, a good TV deal for the XFL being on ABC and, and Fox on broadcast television. And it doesn't hurt that you have all of this backed by Vince McMahon, who is a goddamn billionaire. Well, and that's the thing. There was a guy on ESPN Radio this morning talking about how his name escapes me because I'm a whiskey drinker. Don't worry. Not important. Talking about how the thing the XF this year, because he was involved in the previous XFL. He was one of the people who tried to help organize and get it off the ground. He said the thing that they've done better this time was they've engaged the TV markets. They've produced a product that is watchable on TV. Never mind the fact that they've already sold more tickets than the AAF did in its entire existence in one weekend. The fact is is that they've made a product that is watchable on television. It's not a rock concert that a football game just kind of happens to go on during. This is a football product that is streamlined for the television viewer at home. Which, to your point, I mean, look at the NFL. They've reached a point where the money from TV trumps what people spend at the gate. So with that said, the XFL took a... I mean, Chris, it's a splash. I mean, I have a... It's going to... I mean, what's really going to come down to is the next couple of weeks when you get into weeks two, three, four, if people are still going to be able to be tuned into the XFL. Chris, the XFL... All of the XFL games were they were the weekend's top four sporting events between for men between the ages of eighteen and forty nine. Yeah, fuck I, the NBA, fuck hockey. The XFL was the cardinal sporting event of the weekend. Yeah, because it's brand new. Everybody's going to want to see. It. But with what you saw, would you go back weekend? Hell yeah, and that's it, and that's what they're hoping for. But the fact that millions of people tuned in, Chris, I like this. I'm excited. I'm far more excited than I was about the AAF. Yeah, because, you know, sun, Sunday we're, we finish Legends and Stars. <clears throat> we're just going to get drunk as fuck at 34 <laughs> Rush watching the XFL. Honey, if you're listening, that's, that is absolutely not what I'll be doing. I, I, I don't know who would ever suggest such a thing. Me. <laughs> but either way, folks, the, F, the, the XFL is here, and we are here for it. And with that, Chris... Let's kick off this week's Bills News Update. It seems to be both the blessing and curse of this damn podcast. News broke as we were sitting down to the table to record tonight. The Buff- ESPN's Field Yates broke the news that the Buffalo Bills have agreed with defensive tackle Star Latule to a restructuring of his contract. Now, Starla Tule has been kind of a polarizing player for a lot of fans over the last couple seasons. A lot of that stems from the fact that he is one of the larger cap hits of anybody on the roster. I mean, this past year, it was him and Mitch Morse in terms of the most expensive Buffalo Bills. And yet, by nature of being a zero-tech defensive tackle, he does more of the dirty work. He doesn't make flash plays. He does a lot of things that don't show up on the stat sheet. And even when you take that into account, he's been less than dynamic in that aspect. 
but he hasn't been an outright liability either. And Chris, how do you feel about Star Latulule in a Bills jersey? I don't even notice him. Exactly as it should be for a zero-technique defensive tackle. You're there to eat space, make the guys around you look better. Now, as of this recording, the news is kind of fresh, but we dug into some of the reports and looked at both the long-term and short-term repercussions. Now, there's a lot of conflicting information out there, Chris. I showed you three different articles, and they all have different numbers, right? Yes. Okay. So don't shoot me, you people, if I'm wrong. And I swear to God, the first person to tweet me, oh, well, you were, you, you were a little inaccurate on this point. I'm going to, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be horrific. I don't block anybody. I'm just going to massacre you. <laughs> because I'm not prepared for this, but I want to talk about it. What we've been able to dredge up. First of all, the restructure reduces his current contract to a fully guaranteed base salary of $4.5 million, according to ESPN, with up to $1 million in available roster and workout bonuses. Over the next few years, his total liability has been reduced by $5.4 million, and it adds a guarantee for injury to his 2021 salary. Now, I went to Spotrek.com, and it doesn't seem like they've picked up the restructuring yet because the news is too fresh. When I look at what he was supposed to earn and what his dead money figures over the next two years would be, it seems that he would have carried dead money of $5.4 million in 2021 and 2.6 into 2022. Now, according to a few different outlets, which again, I still don't know who to believe here, it sounds as if, as part of this restructuring, they voided the rest of his guaranteed money after next season, outside of the fact that his contract next year is guaranteed for injury only. Now, in talking to our cap expert, Paul Wineski of Hashtag Sports, you know, just kind of a cursory conversation before we started recording, he says this essentially frees up money now in the short term, which is going to help us with some of our upcoming contracts and things we want to do now. It also gives Starlet Tulele some semblance of security in the fact that he's not going to be hunting for a job. The Bills are not going to cut you at the end of this season. And you, if you get hurt and you're hurt going into next year, you're still going to have a home. You're still going to have a place to rehab. I mean, pe- people overlook how big that guarantee for injury really must be to players. So with that, you're talking about this. It also gives the Bills cap flexibility moving forward because it sounds like they can move on from him without, almost without consequence in the next couple of years. Chris, what are your thoughts on this, just right out of the gate? I mean, it really makes no different difference to me because I don't notice the guy. The only, the only question I would have is, is this restructure free up space to throw potential money at Jordan Phillips? Or is is defensive tackle, did that now just move up a little bit in the priority for the draft? Those would probably be my only two questions. Well, and that's exactly it. Like, when I look at this move, what I'm thinking about is you do this because, A, I mean, first of all, it's just smart to get out in front of an aging player, right? You never want to, you don't, like Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick has never moved on too late from any player outside of, Hopefully Tom Brady. No. Hopefully Tom Brady is the player that he moved on from too late. But otherwise, 
He's been really adept at getting out in front of, hey, we're not going to be saddled with a bloated contract for an underperforming player. In that way, it seems like the Bills, this is kind of Bilicekian in the sense that we've got a guy whose production hasn't been stellar, hasn't been terrible, but he's clearly not going to get better with age. So let's set ourselves up so that in the next year or two, we can bring in a replacement. And as he leaves the roster, we're not stuck with excess baggage. I mean, think about Chris. Dead money is what killed Doug Whaley. Yes. Okay. At the same time, it still does help Star because it gives him some security, at least for the next year. And to your point, it's going to be interesting to see how this move affects the draft. Because Bean has gone out of his way to talk about how development and retention are the ways he wants to build this team. And when you look at the current defensive tackle group, you've got your former first-round draft pick in Ed Oliver. Look at the guys who took significant snaps last year. You had Ed Oliver, the now unrestricted free agent Jordan Phillips, Starla Tule, and a Harrison Phillips coming back off an ACL tear that's no guarantee to return to form quickly. Yeah, not just an ACL tear, second one of his career. So those are your four guys. So you do kind of have to start looking at the draft and saying, wait a minute, does defensive tackle become a position of interest for the Bills going forward? I mean, Brandon Bean was around when they drafted Starla Tule in the first round. So was Sean McDermott. He was a part of that. So with that said, these guys understand, or at least Sean McDermott seems to have a desire <laughs> to, to draft defensive linemen. He likes defensive players, and I, I can understand why. So now this the ripple effect of this is, A, it gives us cap flexibility, but it also says, hey, maybe this draft where everyone's pounding the table for offensive skill players, maybe that's not what the front office is thinking. It's going to leave a lot of angry fans in its wake. It's going to be really interesting to see how all that pans out. I mean, Starla ultimately, on its face, Starla Tule just got a lot cheaper. But you know what didn't get cheaper, Chris? <laughs> Our wallets? Buffalo Bills season tickets. Folks, as you heard in the intro, the Buffalo Bills are raising season ticket prices. Last week, the Buffalo Bills announced that a letter would be forthcoming to all Bills season ticket holders, explaining that for the 2020 season, fans could expect to shell out a little bit more green in exchange for parking and admission on game day. Now, I've got a copy of the letter here, and I'm going to read it to you. <clears throat> Thank you for your support as a Buffalo Bills season ticket member. On behalf of the entire organization, we are truly grateful. I am constantly reminded of how fortunate we are to enjoy the enthusiasm and loyalty of the best fan base in the entire NFL. Sign into account manager to view your 2020 season ticket invoice. Bullet points. The average price will increase by $4.11 per seat per game, a 4.6% increase. The bills are projected to be one of only three NFL teams with an overall average ticket price under $100 for the 2020 season. We will continue to offer interest-free, extended payment plan options for your convenience through our early renew program. Some restrictions apply, see terms and conditions for more details. Your package continues to give you access to exclusive membership benefits like Bills Bucks, discounts on single-game ticket prices, member-only events, playoff tickets, and more. The upcoming season brings many reasons for excitement. Steps taken this season are only the beginning. 
This team will continue to be built for long-term success, and the next chapter has already begun. Playoff to championship caliber will remain the goal and standard here, and your support is vital in our success. Feel free to contact your account representative if you have any questions about the renewal process. Thank you again and for your valued support. Chris. Yes. Pretty straightforward, eh? Yep. Now, along with tickets seeing a material increase in price, parking is also going to get a little bit of a jump. Just across the board. All team-owned lots. With most of them seeing a $2 per game increase. Well, the specialty lots are going to go up probably about $50 a game from where they were in the past. And as you and I both know, as the team-owned lots kind of increase their prices, so do the ancillary lots like where we park in the mud lot. They pretty much mirror whatever the main parking lot price is. Yeah, I think when we park in the mud lot, I think it's 40 bucks. 35 if you say... 35 if you know the password. If yeah. you'd like to know the password, go ahead and tweet us at Report. Maybe we'll share it with you. But so with that, I mean, essentially, and I, and I get it, Chris. If anything, they provide more flexibility than the Bills lots do. So I'm happy to pay it. Now, regardless of the fact that the Bills, even with this increase, remain one of the best values in overall cost in the whole NFL, which the letter itself goes out of its way to point out. One of three teams. The other being Dallas and the Rams. There are still people who aren't happy about it. Chris, I have for you some screenshots. We're going to go through them together. From Flapazoid on Twitter. Here's the letter from the Bills about the season ticket price increase. Now that they've tasted a little success, Terry isn't signing the letters anymore, nor apologizing for the increase. Twitter user GTW Stuff just said boo. <laughs> and then I went to Facebook. And someone named Cindy Sylvia, this is all from the Bills Mafia Facebook page. She says, It seems to me the better the Buffalo Bills get, the higher the prices get when the Buffalo Bills weren't doing that great. They had to keep the season, the ticket sales low to get people there. Now that they're getting better, they're going to jack up the prices. That seems a little unfair. Whatever happened to appreciation to all the fans that stood by this team for all these years? (laughs) And then, Chris, my personal favorite. Season ticket holders can't even get five bucks sometimes for their tickets. Way to keep boning us loyal fans. Chris, are you surprised that people can be this dense when it comes to this stuff? I don't get it. When when you have a good football team, your ticket prices are going up. That's how that works. First of all, to the guy who complained about the price increasing because it's already hard enough to sell them, you're a I mean it. A real It's because of people like you that I've had all sorts of terrible experiences on game day. Dealing with belligerent away fans. Like that Tampa Bay game a couple years ago. Chris, because of people like that guy, I now know that Tampa Bay fans actually exist. For all these years, I saw their broadcasts and figured that they just faked those crowds the way NASA faked the moon landing. (laughs) Come on. There's no such thing as Tampa Bay fans. It's not real. But in all seriousness, 
for the sake of conversation, for some of you who are still looking at this and somehow wrinkling your eyebrows, let me lay a little bit of economics out for you. First of all, in 2018 to 2019, with significant roster building taking place, the team increased their ticket prices by approximately 2.11%. Now, annual inflation here in the United States, when you want to talk about the American dollar, was 2.3 for 2019, indicating that last season's increase was less than the increase of pretty much all tangible goods and services offered during the same time period. Chris, you've seen the increase in, increase in price in pizza over the last two years. Oh, yeah. It's been higher than 2.11%. <laughs> and, <sighs> you know, not for nothing, just a funny story. My uncle, God rest his soul, he had a drug problem his whole life, and he's been in and out of jail. And I remember when he, the last time he got out of jail, uh, my aunt kind of helped him with a smartphone and kind of showed him how to Google things and order a pizza. And so he got a hold of a pizzeria, called, ordered a large pizza with, like, all of the fixings, mushrooms, peppers, onions, <laughs> banana peppers, the works. And since he hasn't ordered a pizza since 1997 because he's been in jail, they were like, oh, yeah, that'll be, like, $27. And he flipped out. Well, you've been in jail, Uncle Tom. <laughs> Inflation. That's what happened. Inflation, sir. But seriously, but yet people are out here balking at it. According to the VP of ticket sales, Chris Caleri, which I'm pretty sure I just bot bot botched his name royally, and I don't care. In the run-up to the 2019 season, the Bills ticket office saw an uptick of over a 1,000 new season ticket holders. A 1,000, Chris. In a... In just one season, people saw the moves the team was making in the offseason and immediately went out and signed up for season tickets. So does it come to you as a shock that as the quality of the team improves, so does attendance? And based on the, just one of the most elementary principles of economics ever, supply and demand, the ticket prices went up. I mean, for those of you, it, it boggles the mind. And for those of you out there who don't, I, I mean, Chris, I'd like to believe our audience is smart enough to know what supply and demand is. So I'm not going to waste my time explaining it. If there's anybody out there who doesn't, again, tweet me at Rockpile Report so that I can make fun of you. That's it. That's all. Just so I can mock you over it. Now, when you talk about the increase itself, it does represent a doubling of last season's increase. But we're also a year removed from a 10-6 record and Sean McDermott's second playoff appearance in three years. And when you look at the home schedule, Chris, it features some of the NFL's biggest gate draws. The Patriots, the Seahawks. Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Exactly. And the Steelers, who, not for nothing, the way we kind of, our, our fans flooded the stadium down there, their fans travel pretty well, too. I mean, do you remember the Eagles game here? Yes, that was teams in the Pennsylvania teams in the Pennsylvania New England area tend to travel pretty well to our games. So there's an increase in ticket price. 
So are you surprised, Chris, after, after me laying all of this out for you, are you surprised at all that there's a sizable increase in ticket prices? I was expecting season tickets to go up for this year because we <clears> finished <throat> 10 and 6. We made the playoffs for the second time in three years. That's just what happens in the NFL. You get a good product on the field, prices are going up. Okay, but then the, the, the question becomes, what is the reality of these increases? I crunched the numbers because that's what I do. I work with numbers all day. Chris, all of my snark about this topic and my just frustration with fans who are bitching and complaining on social media about it, it supports all of my frustration. If the average increase is 4.5%, let's say 45 and the parking lot increases by, I mean, if they're talking about $2 a game for the cash lots, we'll call it $20 over the course of a given season if you factor in the two preseason games. That means that if your season tickets cost you $500, then the 2020 season is going to run you, if you attend every single game, an extra $40 out of pocket. Now, Chris, remember yesterday when you asked me, you texted me and asked, because we were talking about this being a part of the show. You asked me if I had our season ticket prices yet. Correct. Okay. I have the invoice. Now, in 2019, we paid $410 a seat for our tickets and a $1 per seat service fee for a grand total of $1,644. This year's invoice totals $1,724, which represents a $20 per season ticket increase, which, if you average that out, comes to about $2.50 more per game. Chris, I want to give you a list of things that you can buy with $2.50. A Wendy's Junior Cheeseburger and a Value Size Frosty. You can buy a single package of dental flossers. You can buy yourself one single bottle of Bud Light during happy hour, but you can't tip the bartender. In fact, Chris, nowadays, I don't even know. This is how long it's been since I drank light beer at a bar. I don't even think you can get bottled beer for that. I think you'd have to get a draft Bud Light and still forego tipping the bartender for $2.50. Blech. What the hell are we talking about here? I don't see what all the uproar is. <sighs> Chris, is there anything that for $2.50 extra per week you couldn't do without? No, I don't like get those people that... like. This increase is like, oh, no, oh, I'm, out. I'm out now. This increase can't do it. Canceling my season tickets. I mean, I don't have a wife, a kid. Like, I'll be in this for a while, probably until you bow out, if you ever do. Please. You'll have to, you'll have to pry these tickets. My, my buddy Dan, he may not even realize this. He used to have the season tickets in his name. I paid almost $100 last year to transfer them into my name when he had his third kid and had to bow out, which I understand. It makes sense. You have three kids. You have a significant significant time constraint and financial commitment to your family. So you've got to take a back seat for a little while. Maybe come to a game or two, but you can't be the guy who runs this. Chris, I took that on, and you'll have to pry these things from my cold, dead hands. God, I wish we had Charlton Heston. <laughs> Are we keeping the fourth this year? 
Chris, we're keeping the fourth forever. All right. Until Dan comes back, we're rocking a fourth season ticket. Chris, I just like, it's like a security blanket. Having an extra seat, even if it's just so that I can relocate one of you two, Potter or uh, you or Potter, when you start pissing me off and I can put a seat in between us, even if no one sits there, I will maintain that seat until the day I'm dead. Yeah, that's, uh, (laughs) I guess it is a good idea to keep that ticket. Just don't invite Mario this year. (laughs) Why? So we can lose the card immediately? (laughs) But so with that said, guys, this really isn't that big of a deal. I get it. On its face, you may not like it. But in reality, the increase is negligible to your day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month life. And if you're a fan, if you're someone like me who takes considerable time out of his life to commit to this, then this is a drop in the bucket. It's not a bridge too far. It's not like them asking you to buy PSLs. It's literally $2 for me, $2.50 a game. And I'm sure some of you are going to pay more than that. But also, you signed up for more expensive tickets. <laughs> so you kind of had to, you had to think that this was coming at some point. So with that said, everyone needs to calm down. The increase is negligible. Especially if you love the experience. And Chris, I think I speak for both of us when I say, we can't wait for 20, for, 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 to see what 2020 brings. So, Chris, 2020. 2020 is something that I think every single Bills fan is looking forward to. I don't know that there's been an offseason with more, I guess, with higher expectations. You're talking about a team coming off of a 10-6 season that's going to end up in the top two or three for all teams with cap space, that has a solid young core in place, A GM who I've referred to him before as a contractual gangster. Simply because he's out here wheeling and dealing, cutting, he's cutting deals, Chris, that (laughs) last offseason that you wouldn't have envisioned possible in the way that they're all built to be team friendly for a team so desperate, so desperate for talent. He's the Joe Pesci of GMs. I'm picturing Casino when he sits down and talks to the talks to the guy from the bank on the couch. That's how I picture Brandon Bean handled a lot of these negotiations. And it worked. They're, Chris, when you think about the fan expectations as it pertains to Josh Allen, the staff that McDermott's assembled, you know, whether it's our offensive coordinator growing in his role there and learning how to lead this offense once he gets some extra pieces. When it comes to just a defense that's been dominant, now we have the cap space and draft capital that maybe even make it better. Everybody is, everyone is a fan, is, is here looking forward to 2020. But there's other people out there who are looking forward to 2020 for their own reasons. And so it's, it's through that lens that I'm really excited to have on first time guest here on the Rockpile Report. Buffalo Bills defensive end, Mike Love. How you doing there, sir? I'm pretty good, man. Pretty good. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Now, now, are you back in Florida now? Uh, I'm still in Buffalo. Um, I get cleared in about two weeks. And once I'm cleared, I can head home and start my off-season training. So it gives me about a, a month to train since we have to report April 20th. Man, see, that's that, that's crazy, and that's one of the craziest parts about your story. Now, for listeners out there who maybe don't know enough about Mike Love, 
grew up in Clearwater, Florida, currently holds a master's degree, and was a four-year player for the University of South Florida, South Florida Bulls. And he was an undrafted free agent signing by the Bills in April of 2018. Now, we always like to start this with kind of a slow break-in process. Just some general questions. First of all, fans here. Now, you've been in Buffalo. This is your, what, second year? Yep, going on my third. Okay. Fans saw Ed Oliver's reaction to snow here on Twitter, and they got a kick out of it because he's a guy from Houston, not familiar with how cold it can get up north. <laughs> Did you find yourself in the same boat when you first got here? Yes. Um, it was actually okay at first. They said it was a pretty – the warmest has been, like, all fall and uh, winter. But once it got to that November, late late November, beginning December, that's when I started to feel it and really – realized that buffalo was real and the <laughs> cold was real <laughs> and the snow was real because uh, i experienced my first blizzard when i was on my way to the store a little grocery store and man i mean i couldn't even see out there or anything i just had to turn back around and went home and i had to take that l but i told myself i was like yeah buffalo is real but i love it here. it's not too bad it's not too bad you don't get suit every day which i like no, well, that's it. I mean, it's it's not Alaska like some people would have you think out there, but it's also it can get rough. And you find you know, it's yeah. it's good to hear that you you got a taste of that because some people walk around out here like you know, especially guys who are only here for half the year, they have no idea what that's right. like. <laughs> they have no idea. Yeah, and I'm and I'm and I'm and I'm starting to get the real winter since I'm up here right now in February, the month of February right now. Oh, yeah, it's been you, pretty chill, but. You've got we to had, see a yo-yo, uh, think, what, Three days ago, well, last Friday, it was five inches. Yeah? Oh, no, it gets real. I mean, That's hell, I, I got snowed in with my ex-girlfriend. My ex-girlfriend. Oh, on the, oh, my God, we were snowed oh, in man. for four days. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I hope that went well. Yeah, it did not. We, we, we're, we're no longer together. It, it did not go well. Oh, <laughs> but so ultimately, oh, you've gotten a taste for the Buffalo region, and it sounds like you enjoy it a little bit. Even though it can be tough, you yep. like it here. Now, one of yep. the things I want to talk to you about, one of the things I find most interesting about you, undrafted free agent. That is one hell of a, a title to come into the NFL with. Mm-hmm. I mean, being drafted yes, is kind sir. of every NCAA athlete's dream, but honestly, making it to the show is what's important, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so once you get right. here, that's when the work starts. Now, I, I don't know, do you know what kind of rarefied air you currently occupy? I mean, there are so many undrafted... Fr- you occupy some really rarefied air in the sense that yeah. there are a lot of players who come in via the undrafted free agent route who never get to set foot on a football field. Amen. Yeah, you're right. And so, yeah, it's, and so for you, I mean, do you have an appreciation for just how how rare that is that you got to play at the end of last season? Yeah, um, it was much of a blessing, and definitely appreciated it a lot. Because you know, you hear all the time, "Oh man, you know, you got to put in the work now. You're undrafted, and you know, the chances are that and making the team is very slim." Um, so you know, it's just a blessing just to put in the work and. You know, go through practice squad and then getting, you know, off of practice squad and finally getting on the roster, you know, just knowing that all that hard work paid off and just never took it for granted. And, you know, I always told myself, you know, there's still more work to put in, and there is, um, even when I did play in those four games. But it was a surreal moment when I first stepped foot on that first game when we played, I think it was Detroit Lions. Yep. Um, 
yeah, that was the first one because, man, uh, I thought I was going to play like the end of the game, you know, like maybe towards third quarter, fourth, and it was the second series, and my coach was like, hey, Mike, go in, and it was the second series, and I'm like, <laughs> what? He's like, go in. I was like, oh, so I just ran in there. Was there, was there any nerves? Was there? I mean, I mean, you can be you know, honest with me. It's a real moment. <laughs> you mean that? You, you can be honest with me. Was there any nerves going into that? I mean, I, I think back to the one. I mean, I looked over your stat sheet. And I went back and watched some of the games that you played. You were so close. I mean, the, the stat sheet has you marked down for one quarterback pressure. You were so close to sacking Tom. It's okay. So the stat sheet has you down for one quarterback pressure, but that doesn't do it justice because that one near sack was almost against Tom Brady of the New England Patriots. I mean, <laughs> uh, yep. I that... remember that like yesterday, man. And I could have <laughs> got there sooner, but I was so surprised that, uh, you know, my get off, like, I was just so surprised because I got, I got off the ball and, you know, I made my move and I'm like, oh, man, I'm there. But I don't know how he saw me, but, you know, uh, he's Tom Brady for a reason, and he got rid of it quickly. But you know, hopefully, he stays there. Oh man! I mean, it's one of those things. Knowing that you almost brought down the great one, that has to—that's got to be something. That's a bucket list thing, right there. So, I look to, to you know we, we were talking about guys who are looking towards 2020. You know, we were talking about us as fans looking towards 2020. I know for sure you're looking towards 2020 because you lost the majority of your 2019 season. I mean, that injury. Yes, yeah, so, the whole season, yep. I mean, that's crazy. So, folks, one of the things that really enamored me to Mike as I started to learn about his backstory is just that he is no stranger to injury. I mean, the, the fact that he lost so much of his season last year, and yet this isn't his first experience with it, it, it it's an interesting thing to look at. I want to pick your brain about that. Now, with the, our friend, Dr. Kyle Trimble, uh, he's the writer over at bangedupbills.com, he helped me get a kind of a clearer yeah. picture of your injury history. And, man, i got to tell you, the oh. stuff you've battled back from is incredible. Right. So, first of all, a, a pair of knee Go injuries. Ahead. No, I was going to say, a pair of knee injuries. The, the microfracture yep. procedures that you went through, I mean, just that alone, what was that like to try to come back from as young as you were? Oh, man, it was very excruciating at first because, um, you know, once you get an injury, you get a lot of people, you know, telling you how it's going to be after or, you know, don't get discouraged because your knee might not be the same and, you might not run the same or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I never really listened to that. I always just, I always told myself, you know, I'll just come back the same, even better, even stronger, even faster. So it was, the first one was fine and I came back pretty good. I mean, at first I was a little discouraged because I wasn't getting that same burst, but, you know, I just had to put in the work and I knew that. So I just kept grinding. But when I got that second one, man, I was just, bummed and it's just a it was a hard experience at first but I was just reminding myself what I did uh for the past knee the uh, right one that I had injured I remember what I, the work I had put in and once I remembered that I just kind of went through that same process of just hard work and staying positive you know what I mean well and so that's one of the things so then you after this you get a foot injury that robs you of some more of your collegiate just 
it's, it just, it's, a, it's heartbreaking when you see this series of injuries right. that as they played out, they kept robbing you of collegiate snaps. Right. But here's the thing yeah. that, that really enamored me to Mike Love, the football player. <laughs> as I'm going through all of this injury information and the data, the thing that stuck out to me is that you are a warrior. These injuries didn't seem to derail you from getting to the places you wanted to go. In fact, I'd argue when I right. look at your statistics year over year, you came back from every single injury you've ever had stronger. Your last collegiate hey. season, <laughs> your last collegiate season, despite the knee injuries, despite the foot surgery, you finished with eleven tackles for a loss and five and a half sacks. That yeah. had to feel. That had to be incredible, knowing you ended all of this suffering on a high note, right? Right. I mean, man, that, that that takes that right there just speaks to what it is you bring to the table in terms of will, compete, the fight yes, that you uh, have. Yeah. So now you're coming off your most recent injury. It's a torn pectoral muscle. Now, I've watched the clip a few mm -hmm. times. That had to hurt, right? I mean, right. you yeah. see you make that diving kind of you're, – you're diving towards the sideline, and I can see you get your hand on the pump returner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, did, did you? I know. I had got, I had got tripped up. You know, I was like going to make the tackle, and I didn't know how I was going to position to make it because I felt the guy beside me. And when he kind of tripped me up, all I did was just like lean towards it, and you know, he just ran right through my arm, and it was upsetting, man. But you know, everything happens for a reason, and, and like you said, you know. I bounce back from these injuries, and you know it's just a positive attitude, and you know, you gotta understand the work that's gonna take to get back. So, oh, you know, no. I'm working now, man. Well, and I guess that's so. That's one of my first questions: is when it pertains to your current injury, where are you at? If you don't mind sharing, in terms of your current rehab state, I mean, are, are you still doing range of motion oh, man, exercises, I'm, or are you back I'm to really, load bearing? Nah, man, I'm I'm full go right now. Um, I started benching. Um, I started doing a lot of things that. Uh, that has to deal with pushing off that chest and that muscle and feeling pretty good. And, you know, I, I, all I can say is, man, it's, it's going to be a great year. And so the work I'm putting in now is going to pay off. And uh, the pec feels fine. Um, but I think I'm two weeks. Um, I get to see the doc and then I should be clear within that two weeks. I mean, I feel clear now if I had to tell you. <laughs> I feel clear now, bro. I'm ready. Well, I'm happy to hear you feel well, and I'm not going to lie, you're not the first person to talk about injuries and about how they feel like they're ahead of schedule. One of the things that was a big thing for the Buffalo Bills in the last couple of years was the kind of the revamping of our medical staff, our medical facilities, our training facilities, our rehab facilities. Yes, sir. I mean, the Pagulas oh, have been beautiful. And that's it. I want to I want to pick your brain about that. As a football player, you know, you've obviously played at the collegiate level and you've dealt with rehab and injuries. Now here at the pro level, what is it like knowing that you have all of the resources that the Bills have put around you at your disposal? I mean, from what I hear from players, it's top-notch stuff back there. Oh, man, it's the best around the world. I've never seen anything like it, bro. It's like a Disneyland for people who love to work out and take care of their bodies and, and um, use resources to get them back you know, healthy. I mean, they have everything. I mean, from... Lounges where you can get massages, um, and, you know, the chairs and stuff. Uh, Nordic boot, uh, I can't never say the name, but uh, they're <laughs> like boots, you know, um, for your legs and stuff. 
Uh, they got, I mean, we have everything, man. If you really take advantage of those resources, there's no reason why you shouldn't be healthy, feeling good. Um, you know, we just have everything, man. It's, it's just an unbelievable place and truly blessed to have and to be in a building with those type of resources. I mean, every time I walk in there, it's the same, you know, never taken for granted. It's a huge blessing, man. Then you want to talk about being Never, here in the yeah. building. That's what I want to. So that's where I want to shift this conversation to. Being in this building, being a part of this team. What is it about Sean McDermott's approach and the defensive scheme of this team that appeals to you? Oh, it's just attack every day, uh, one step at a time. You know, and everything you do, do it championship caliber, meaning. You know, every day, your little day-to-day things, your routines, everything you do, just make it a championship, a caliber um, effort. You know what I mean? It's it best if you're just, you know, working out, uh, getting rehab, studying, you know, uh, eating, everything. You know, just make it a championship effort and, you know, just take one day at a time. Don't look at the big picture. Just look at it in small increments and attack it, you know, one step at a time, you know. See, now so, that, that, and that's why I love it. It's, it's, the culture is, is amazing, you know what I mean? It's an unbelievable guy to, to work for. See, now, so to that end, you want to talk about the culture and the mindset that they try to instill in people. One of the things that I've noticed, we as Bills fans have witnessed a number of young defensive players come here. Ever since McDermott was installed as the head coach and Leslie Frazier was brought in yeah. as the defensive coordinator, who weren't premier draft picks, or they, they weren't guys that a team would have felt compelled to try to force into game action. And we've watched these guys thrive enough to get themselves on the field. I mean, Teron Johnson was a fourth-round draft pick at cornerback. Eddie Yarbrough played most of 2017 as a defensive end. Matt Milano, Saran Neal, Levi Wallace, yourself. You're a guy who got Mm -hmm. on the field. What is it about this staff and maybe even just the scheme that has allowed you guys as young, you know, regardless of what well, your draft position was, to come in here and pick yeah. the defense up so quickly? Well, yeah, they, they make it feasible for us. You know what I mean? Um, uh, just clear, dry, and cut simple. You know, just go out there and attack. <laughs> but honestly, man, we, we got great vets. You know, they do a good job with having vets in the um, in the building who, uh, to help out, you know what I mean? And they do a really good job of, taking young guys up under their wings and showing them the ropes and uh, really finely tuning, you know, their mindset and showing us what they see and, and, and what they feel about certain situations. And it's just all like one big family, you know what I mean? So no one's never left behind, you know what I mean? It's like everyone's on the same page. Everyone understands everything. and It really helps, you know what I mean? So because sometimes, you know, you could be at a place where, uh, you know, kind of everyone for themselves and you know so you're kind of stuck and lost and you know you don't know what to do because some people for themselves so you may be afraid to ask but you know here it's different man it's like all big brothers little brothers we all brothers and it's like all big brotherhood a big bond where no one's not afraid to ask and everyone's themselves you know you could be yourself and 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 be all right with asking if you don't know you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so it, it makes it a lot easier to understand the playbook and also understand the game plan and why we're doing something, you know, because like I said, like it's, you can ask, you know what I mean? And, uh, and really, really grasp and have knowledge on the game. You know, it takes it at a, that, it, I've been to college, man. And, and, you know, and 
when you got something like that, you know, it's, it's, it's special, man. And, and it showed. It showed this year. Oh, absolutely. Like no, and true. that's one of the things is the culture yeah. of this team really does shine through. Now, right, before right. we move on, a few X's and O's questions because I'm just curious. Just curious as to how you personally approach this game. First of all, okay. this scheme promotes attacking from the defensive line. You, you know, you've said that multiple times just here in the last few minutes. You personally, do you think you operate better when rushing from the left or from the right? There's a lot of people out there who probably think it's a BS question. But I think it's important because where you end up in the pecking order, some of it might depend on who you're backing up, what your skill set is, what, you know, what your own personal technique is. Where is it that you feel you're most effective? Um, if I had to be honest, uh, I really love the left side. Uh, this year, I had got moved to the right, you know, just to try some things out. And I started to like it, honestly. Um, it wasn't bad than I thought. And I'm starting to learn that I can actually play both sides. But if I had to tell you what, what, what I'm more dominant, definitely the left side. Now, is that just from a technique standpoint that you're used to doing it? Um, used well, to hand fighting from those angles? of just being, being on that side my whole, um, not life, but since I started in high school, uh, I was always just on the left side, and it's just kind of like a natural thing to me. No, that's and that makes sense. If it's what your it's muscle memory. I mean, we talk about how playing offensive tackle, left tackle isn't always like playing right tackle. Playing left end isn't like mm-hmm, playing right exactly, end. Exactly. Yeah. It's things are different. It feels different. You're using different muscles for your mm-hmm. get off. You're using different hands to fight with. Your your <laughs> your acceleration points are different. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So no, it's, yeah, it's so it's interesting to hear yeah, that you play yeah, on the side. So, so you almost prefer to play on the side that would be like backing up a Jerry Hughes. Yeah. Okay. Like this year, that's what I started. Yeah, last year was kind of um, actually last year when I played those four games, most of it was on the um, uh, right side, okay. our right side. Yeah. But at this point. I mean, are you, are you, you, you would prefer to, regardless of what side, you'd prefer to be on the field, right? Say it again, sorry. I said, no, no. So, regardless of which side of the line it is, I have a feeling you wouldn't care as long as you're on the field, right? Hey, amen, brother. <laughs> amen, you already know, man. Either side, as long as I'm on the field helping out the team, man, that's, that's all that matters. And that's why when I did get moved to the right, it wasn't, a bad thing at all. I actually just took with a great song and, and, you know, just told myself whatever for the team. You know what I mean? So now this is where I'm going to ask you a few questions. <laughs> want your honest opinion. Okay. Your approach to 2020. You're, you're fresh off an injury. You're coming into a season here. I mean, you're, you've spent some time in an NFL program. Yeah, you 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 probably feel like you now that you have a little bit of experience, you've gotten out on a playing field on Sundays, you've gotten to fly around out there and see what game speed feels like. You probably feel pretty primed heading into 2020, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. So now this time of year, most podcasts, most blogs, I mean, hell, even ESPN and NFL Network, those guys can't shut up about change. Whether it's the draft, whether it's free agency, you've got the media, you've got fans, all of us, myself included, to a certain degree. Can't get enough of this idea that each of our teams might go out there and acquire something shiny and new. You know, they go, oh, this is a position we need to get younger at, or this is a position where we need more depth. 
So we're, we might draft a guy, we might sign a guy. That's where everybody's attention seems to be focused. But a lot of that, I mean, earlier in this podcast, we were talking about the XFL and about how they've done such a good job of making you know, human interest stories because they don't gloss over the fact that these guys, these people playing this game are people. I mean, there's a human mm-hmm. element to this game. You are a professional athlete, but I've always had the belief that athletes are just guys with cooler jobs than me. <laughs> that's, that's it. We all got our passions. Exactly. So growing up, my father was friends with a few Bills, second string players, special teamers. And the thing I took away from kind of growing up with that, my own experiences from it, and now growing up friends of some athletes, some Bills players, is that you guys are just, you're guys out here trying to achieve your dream job. And you're trying to mm-hmm. do the best you can, trying to do the best you can and be the best you can be. And so with yeah. that and that kind of way of thinking I described that most fans carry into the offseason, it almost, it seems unfair to guys like you. It almost glosses over the fact that there's guys like you out here just busting your asses, grinding, trying to be that change that a lot of people are looking for whether it's the draft or outside the organization, is that something that is on your radar as a player? Yeah, sometimes because, you know, you never know uh, what happens, especially being as an undrafted free agent. And like you said, you know, sometimes you don't – you try to block it out and try to just work past it. But sometimes you have to be real and and face reality and and know that maybe they do bring in someone – at a younger round, same position, and I have to try to battle. But and all in all, man, you know, you know, I know it sounds cliche, but sometimes you just really have to just just don't think about it or or, or, or just agree with it, and you fight. You know what I mean? And, and you battle, and and because competition is fun at the end of the day, it brings the best out of you, in my opinion. And um, and and all in all, it always ends up good because you you either can tell yourself, man, I wish I would have did this. Or you can tell yourself, hey, it's okay because I gave it all I got. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's one of those things, I guess, <clears throat> when I think about your past and the way that you've battled, and the way that you've fought through all kinds of adversity, another body or two <laughs> yeah. thrown at your position, I don't see that dampening the way you, <laughs> I don't. I don't see that dampening your enthusiasm for 2020 at all. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. Now, one of the I things. Mean, yeah, man, I think. Say it again. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say one of the things I've noticed is that McDermott runs one of the closest things to a true meritocracy that I've seen here in Buffalo in a long time. Regardless of paycheck mm-hmm. and contract status, he wants gamers. He wants guys who are going to go out there mm-hmm. and bust ass. And he's proven that he's going to give people who do that the opportunity. So, with that in mind, mm-hmm. that has to kind of shape your approach here this summer, right? Yeah, definitely, man. Just. You know, cut and dry, man. Just got to be a dog. You know, got to go out there and be a dog and and, and want to do it not just for yourself, but for the man next to you. You know what I mean? And because when you do that, then you don't just have like a playoff team. You have a, a Super Bowl contender team. You know what I mean? And making it not about you. You know, it's bigger than you. It's always will be bigger than you. You know, in any job, even in in y'all job. You know what I mean? It's always bigger than us. You know what I mean? That's why we work so hard. You know, but. Yeah, so it's just being a dog and, and, and training like that. So, you know, that's what's being prepared right now. So with that in mind, what are some specific goals that you have your sights set on in 2020? 
What are some things um, that you want to improve upon this summer or maybe even – I mean, obviously making the final 53, is, that's the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not in, even going to say that because that's already known. Because <laughs> in order to get but, there, there's things that you got to kind of do. There's things that I'm sure you exactly. want to get better at. They're going to pave the way – pave the road for you to get right. there. What are some of those things that right. you want to focus on this summer? Uh, just mostly if I had to cut it down to something – smaller because it's a lot of them but my main thing I just want to get my lower leg strength a lot of uh, I want to grow it to be stronger uh, more explosive so really my lower body that's where I want to work more uh, towards this off season because um, you know I have my speed and, and I believe in it but you know I just want more power more explosiveness and uh, a better burst so that's some of the things that I'm uh, leaning towards and attacking, you know, on a day-to-day basis is my legs, man, and just trying to really get that burst and be more dominant lower body, you know, so when I attack, they feel it, you know what I mean? Oh, no, I hear you. I mean, that's one of those things yeah, from a technique so. standpoint. I mean, coming out of college, the book on you was that you were coming in here with some – you had some techniques. You had a little bit of hand right. skill. You had some of the things going on in the upper body. But one of the doubts on you was that they were worried about how you'd hold up against the run, and they were worried about how you how you would hold up against bigger, more physical right tackles and things of that nature. So, right, right. Is there anything from a technique that standpoint that you want to try to fine tune, or do you think that improving that power is really going to be the thing that puts you over the top? That's gonna, yeah. I think that's gonna be a bigger difference because I mean, I can set an edge, and I I, I got pretty long arms, so you know, that, I'm always good with that, but. Just having that, that that lower leg strength and that explosiveness, you know, it, it makes a complete difference in the game and setting edges, going against bigger people. You know, um, you can have a whole big upper body, but if your if your lower leg is not, you know, strong and explosive, you know, that's where most of your power your power is generated from. You know what I mean? So I think that's a, a huge asset to your game is just having a good lower leg strength. I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking as we're talking to you, man. There has been, there's a track record here in the last couple of years of guys who were undrafted free agents, practice squad guys, coming in and making an impact for this team. I mean, wide receiver, you had Robert Foster comes off the practice squad as a game day starter, despite the fact that there was a wide receiver that this team traded for and a guy that they signed in free agency ahead of him in the depth chart. You had Levi Wallace, who jumps off the practice squad, and he shows enough down the stretch of a season that they kind of give him a look as the starting cornerback going into the next year. I mean, hell, our Mm -hmm. friend Reed Ferguson, practice squad member when he first got here, with a veteran firmly entrenched ahead of him on the depth chart. But he laced up every day, he worked his ass off, and ultimately, now he's in the leadership role in this team. So it's evidence that it's not just possible, but that this environment really does seem to reward people who truly work hard mm-hmm. and take advantage of those opportunities. Does knowing that, knowing that this team gives opportunities to guys in your position, that has to fire you up coming into 2020. Yes, sir. It does, man. You know, just because once you know his culture, you know, you can do that. He he lets us be ourselves, and he just wants us to do it for the man, the man next to us and, and just be a dog, you know. And, and I think that's what some of those players that you just named showed. You know, they – you know, they battled and worked and, and, and they had grit, you know, and, and just a lot of effort, you know what I mean? And, um, and I think that's what he loves most about some of the players on his team is with, with dogs, you know what I mean? And, and they're going to 
you know, not just only do it for themselves, but for the man next to them and for the team, you know, just lay it all out there. So, you know, and I think that, that that's what fires me up, and that's why I love uh, the culture and the coaching style here because, you know, it, it's the one of the best organizations and cultures to be a part of, you know what I mean? And um, it just it, it fires you up just knowing the culture, you know what I mean, and, and what we live by on a day-to-day basis. Man, I'm not going to lie to you. <clears throat> I didn't know a whole lot about your story before I started prepping for this show and for you to come on with us tonight. I, I didn't <laughs> I didn't know about all the stuff that you'd already overcome in your career just to get to this point, much less, you know what yeah. I mean? So what I can tell you is that walking away from this conversation, I'm already looking forward to watching you go out there this year, training camp, preseason, and to give them your best shot. I mean, I have no doubt in my mind. You sound like a guy who's focused. You sound like you know what you want. You sound like you're coming into this thing. I mean, (laughs) the motivation I can tell is they're just talking to you. And again, knowing what I know about you and the way that you've battled back from every piece of adversity that's been thrown at you, I bet you we're probably going to get the best Mike Love that anybody's ever seen this summer. Is that correct? Hey, that's what we got to do every day, man. We got to... Even you, you know, and everybody, man. Every day we wake up, we just got to be the best version of ourselves every day. And if you do that, man, no matter what happens, as long as you can say you gave it all you got. So, and, and, and that's what's, you know, to look forward to in every day, you know, to be our best, bro. And, um, and, and, I, and that's what, you know, the season's going to be about, just giving our best, you know, no matter what happens, at least we say we gave it our best, man, you know. So, you're right, man. It's, it's, that's what you can see. I'll tell you this, we're pulling for you, and I'm sure after hearing you talk about all of this, a lot of our listeners are going to be are going to be amped to join us in that. So with that, Amen, why, don't, I'll tell <laughs> so why don't you tell everybody where they can follow your off-season adventures and just follow your journey towards trying to make this roster, whether it's Twitter, Instagram. Why don't you just tell everybody where they can find, find you and follow you? Unfortunately, I'm not on a Twitter. Sorry. I'll uh, work on that one one day. If anybody want to help me with it, but I am on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Mike Love underscore ninety eight, um, and that's it. And I probably need to change that because I'm not ninety eight no more. I'm 56, <laughs> but, you know. It's refreshing to it. no, no, no. It's I'll you tell know, you what, we'll see. <laughs> it's refreshing to see was, somebody your age who's not enamored with social media. That's crazy. Yeah, man. I know, I know, man. I got a little old soul, but I do got to get on the Twitter. I got, I got to stay, I got to stay in the loop, man. I got to. So. <laughs> I feel like it's too late, though. You know what I mean? It's too you know late. what though? I hey, mean, hey, you know what? By by being a contrarian and not joining Twitter, maybe you're a trendsetter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We can do that, man. I'm a trendsetter. No more Twitter 2020. That was Mike Love. Mike Love, not on Twitter, on Instagram, Mike Love underscore 98. Go give him a follow on Instagram. It really is crazy to see somebody in their early 20s not on Twitter. Although, Chris, you and me in our 20s, if Twitter existed, we'd both be jobless, maybe arrested. Yeah, that is weird. Well, I did tell you before we started recording that uh, I explained to my lady yesterday that Amazon.com and Amazon Fire were the same thing. <laughs> That's right. It immediately just infuriated me. Now, when you look at a guy like Mike Love, first of all, Mike Love made Eddie Yarbrough expendable. When I, 
down the stretch in 2018 where I thought Yarbrough had the inside track because of his 2017 experience, Mike Love was the one taking snaps away from him. He's the reason. You know what I mean? He's the reason Eddie Yarbrough didn't get to start those last four games. And then instead, it was Mike Love suiting up on Sundays. Which speaks to how tenuous your position here really is as an undrafted free agent. But there again, Chris, McDermott's shown that if you put in the work and you you bring it on a day-to-day basis, you bring what he wants to see out of your position, he's willing to give you an opportunity. So with that said, I mean, Chris, if it wasn't for the injury in last year's preseason, we could be talking about a full season of Mike Love on this roster. When you look at what our rotation at defensive end was this year, the fact that a rookie seventh-round draft pick, pterodactyl, the fact that he made the roster, it makes you think that a guy that got game day experience the year before maybe had the inside track on that before his injury. Yeah, that is true. So with that said, it's going to be really interesting to see how he fares. And I'm not going to lie, just talking to him and knowing more about his story, how do you not root for that guy? I mean, that's what makes this time of year fun is that, and I guess that's the thing I want everyone to walk away from this conversation with. Everyone listening to this podcast tonight. Yes, it's okay to be excited about the draft. It's okay to be excited about free agency. You know, obviously, everyone loves things that are shiny and new, Chris. But sometimes the things that you need or the things that might help you are right here in front of your face. They just don't have that same allure as a free agent acquisition or that a, a rookie's a rookie, Chris. Yes. A rookie's a rookie's a rookie. And ultimately, once you, once you make it to the show, it's about what you do with those opportunities. We just got done talking to a guy who made the most of his to the best of his ability. And if history serves, he's going to bring it again this summer. And he's won me over. I'm rooting for him. Whether he makes it or not, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And it's a thing that fans should be paying attention to is that maybe some of the answers to the questions you have are right here in front of you, not outside the building. Again, that's that human element of football that we're always talking about. It's what makes this game so much fun and yet heartbreaking at the same time to watch. It's what makes it compelling. That's why I love this, Chris. <sighs> God, I can't wait. I'm already fired up for summer. I'm already fired up for the off season. And how many how many weeks away are we? A lot. Jesus. I can't count that high. It can't get here fast enough. It's a lot. Well, while we kill the weeks, make sure you tune in on Facebook over at Rock Sports Network to this weekend's panel discussion about the Buffalo Bills. We'll be coming to you live from Batavia Downs. Follow us on Twitter at Report. Make sure you go and follow Mike on Instagram. And guys, just we've got so much in front of us. With all of the money <laughs> that this team has, with all of the guys that it has in the building, with the, what they've built already in the foundation that exists for this team, Chris, the sky really is the limit. Just talking to Mike has me fired up. Let's go. I'm cracking a fresh beer as we close the show. Folks, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was defensive end Mike, Mike Love. And this has been the Rock Pile Report. <laughs>